welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Well, week 40, it's come and it's gone, or just about. It is Saturday, October the 7th, here on the east coast of Australia, otherwise known as the biggest, most funky, unsinkable aircraft carrier that spans the Indian Pacific and Great Southern Oceans. And let's roll out phase one of the week in review, where we look at what the imperialists have been up to this week. Those crazy Caucasian Christian neo-imperialists and their current project of smashing the world under their boot. Well, the proxy war against Russia is going not too well. How sustainable is it? Not very, is the conclusion. However, they have massively succeeded in sustaining their weapons industries and pumping money into them. The narrative seems to be rolling on, and China is finally looming into view. But enough wobbling from me. Let's hear what Dave DeCamp had to say. Okay, hang on to your seats. This has been one hell of a week. Wait for it. British PM clarifies Defence Secretary's comments on sending troops to Ukraine for training, which is to say there was a confusion about how much commitment to Ukraine there should or shouldn't be, and that's the first thing that happens in the week. It's classic. What's this? Party that opposes Ukraine aid wins Slovakia election. Hang on to that one. It's going to come again. Zelensky pitches arms makers on producing weapons in Ukraine, which is just batshit stupid. You know, let's set up a manufacturing um, uh, factory in Ukraine where the Russians can destroy it. Great investment. I mean, the guy's got not much between his ears. Anyway, Pentagon tells Congress it's running out of money to replace weapons sent to Ukraine. And that's the first article for the second. Right, so we're moving along. That was day one. Now we're into day two. Beautiful. No money. Pentagon says you need to give more money to our weapons manufacturers so that we can give weapons to Ukraine so that Russia can destroy them. Right. And then we've got leaked strategy shows U.S. views corruption in Ukraine as major threat. Threat to what? Not sure. Probably threat to being able to give money to arms manufacturers if you read between the lines carefully enough. But anyway, there we go. I thought that the the corruption problem was the other way around, like it was in the US, and that's what the Senate's investigating. I must have misread that somewhere. Anyway, moving right along, this is we're still on the second. Republican gets files motion to oust McCarthy amid Ukraine aid questions. Like, oh, really? Interesting. Britain, and then it keeps going. Britain has run out of military equipment to give Ukraine. Okay, <laughs> that's the third. So we've that's. Wednesday-ish or whatever it was. I love This has been a brilliant week. And then, da-da, on the third house, ousts McCarthy as speaker all over this, you know. Have we done any backroom deals about, you know, shuffling aid funding from Ukraine from one bloody bill to another and what? Anyway, I'm sure you've heard about this. I just think it's classic. Right, so that's the third. And then we're still going on the third. The US is running out of money to pay Ukrainian government salaries. Okay, so we can't give many weapons. We can't pay for the government. Nobody's... Oh, God, there's trouble afoot. Okay, and now... Oh, the fourth rolls around. US transfers alleged Iranian ammunition shipment to Ukraine, which is... This is a beautiful one. So, so they basically did some piracy on the high seas. They didn't seize nothing. They stole stuff, which is theoretically was, well, it was certainly weaponry. And theoretically, it was meant for uh, the Yemenis fighting the Saudis, right, from Iran. And then the, the US did a bit of piracy, stole the stuff, and thought, hmm, 
no, let's not give that to the Yemenis. Let's give it to the Ukrainians. As though that's going to make a difference. Anyway, classic. So, so piracy continues. Uh, and then we have uh, Russia says it repelled massive drone attack on Russian border regions. And if I remember, that's 30 odd drones that Russia smashed out of the skies that were sent to you know various um, border regions, as they say. Uh, then we have NATO official says the bottom of the barrel of weapon stockpiles is visible. We're on the fourth now. So, okay, so the US is saying we, we've got no money, we can't pay for the government, we can't pay for the weapons, da 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 da, gets, gets thrown out of, sorry, um, uh, McCarthy gets kicked out as the <laughs> speaker. And then over there on the other side of the pond, <laughs> we've got a NATO officials saying we ain't got no more weapons to give Ukraine. Like, there's a bit of a problem occurring, right? Like, it's starting to, ah, you can see the panic. It's starting to set in. And then here it is, declared with headline, Ukraine is, quote, freaking out <laughs> over lack of new aid from Cong US aid from Congress. Well done, Dave. Freaking, freaking out. Good job. And then we have Congress mulls ways to get Ukrainian aid passed after McCarthy ouster. This is now the fifth. Uh, and then also the fifth. EU says it can't support Ukraine without the US. It's like the, the wheels are falling off left, right and centre. So there we go. It's beautiful. And just to uh, close out the week, we have Putin says Prigozhin's plane was not downed by external impact. <laughs> Impact. So external, not external impact. Why? Because there were grenade frag fragments found in the bodies from the crash recovery site. Anyway, uh, so there's the week. The entire thing is falling apart. We can't pay that. We don't have any more weapons to give them. We haven't got any money to, pay to you know, to prop up the government with. Da 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 da. So very interesting. Well done, Dave. That was brilliant. Unsurprisingly, there were other things happening in the world. So over there in West Asia, aka the Middle East, we've got report Saudis determined to get defence pact with US for Israeli normalisation. So that's interesting. So the price that the US is going to pay for the Saudis to be nice to the Israelis is that the US has to defend Saudi Arabia. So just, just give me a minute here. Let's do a little bit of history and narrative work on this. Right. So in 1953, the UK is in the process of divesting itself of lots of its former colonial territories. I mean, in 47, 48, we've got the partition of India, Pakistan. They've, India gets its independence in 48, etc. Same round about there. Same in Malaysia. So this is all going on, right? And what happens is in Iran... Um, Mohammad Mossadegh is elected. They've got a democracy happening in Iran. Everything's lovely and beautiful. And Mossadegh says, we want our hands on our own oil reserves again. And the UK is very threatened by this because the concessions which they'd achieved by the previous uh, Iranian government had given them access to this huge amount of oil reserves. And those oil reserves were necessary for it to maintain its navy, which is how they maintained the uh, imperium which they were divesting themselves of, right? Anyway, so that goes down. And then uh, the US assists terribly with this. It flexes the muscle of its newly formed CIA, overthrows Mossadegh, installs a monarch, the Shah, reinstalls the Shah, who then oppresses the Iranians for 
several decades with his you know, intelligence police, the Sabak. This then produces the Islamic Revolution, which puts in power uh, essentially a theocratic government, uh, which maintains itself to this day. And what they've just, and they, this Iran, is the local major threat to Saudi Arabia, which is a theocratic monarchy of one part of Islam. So this is the sort of extremist uh, version of the Sunni um, wing of Islam versus Iran, which is the Shia version of Islam. Okay. And so this is the tension in the region. These are the sort of two powers, right? Both of them have got massive oil reserves and so forth. And the US, which proclaims itself as a beacon of democracy, is going to enter into some international uh, agreement, which will mean that its president will be able to give legal orders to its troops and say to them, okay, troops of the beacon on the hill of you know, shining democracy, you are going to go and have yourself killed to defend a theocratic monarchy over there in Saudi Arabia, right? This is where I'm going to stick you in the middle of a religious war between the Shia and the Sunni, between two theocratic governments, one of which is a democracy theoretically and the other which is an outright monarchy. And that's what we're going to do. All so that the Saudis can be nice to the Israelis. This is the logic. Go figure. Then we have two Syrian soldiers wounded by Israeli airstrikes in Syria's Deir Zor. And this is just the weekly headline about Israel, you know, doing illegal violent activity on, on Syria. It happens every week. Yay. So that's this week's version. And then we have at least 80 killed in drone attack on Syria military college ceremony. And I didn't check the article to find out who launched said drones, but anyway. Uh, then we move on to Pacific slash China. US, Philippines begin annual naval drills amid tensions with China. So just par for the course. Then we have, this is batshit stupid, but hey, Taiwan tells US to speed up weapons deliveries. Okay, I think I should probably look behind that and find out what really is going on there. I mean, it's obvious. It's just, you know, more weapons funding. But, and, you know, destabilization, la la la, troubles. But interesting to see what the routes of, of influence are. Anyway, uh, China says it warned another Philippine resupply mission in South China Sea. So this is another beautiful provocation. So sort of long-winded provocation. They grounded some ship on some shoal. So they're saying, well, we want that back again. And then, you know, there are people there who are, don't have water or food or whatever, and therefore we have to resupply them. And therefore it goes on and on and on and on. So anyway, we'll keep our eye on that and see how it goes. And then this is a doozy. Japan... So that means the national government right? sues Okinawa governor right, in effort to force construction for U.S. base. So you have to read through this headline a bit carefully. So the national government of Japan is suing the Okinawan governor who is not giving the appropriate permission for construction of a U.S. base on Okinawa, obviously. And the reason for that is because the local people don't want the damn base because there's a long history of the local people suffering at the hands of 
G.I. Joe having a bit of drunken fun in the local towns and villages. You know, women getting raped and just minor annoyances like this. So, and the, there's been a long-standing uh, protest in Okinawa against the U.S. base there. So that's interesting. So the U.S. is pressuring the Japanese government to sue a regional governor so that some U.S. base can be built. And this, of course, is all part of the war with China. So interesting stuff. And lastly, we have a, another fun one, this under the U.S. slash NATO headline, and it, it is U.S. signs deal that will allow military deployments to Ecuador. Well done, Ecuador. You've gone from actually, you know, giving Assange <laughs> a political asylum, la, 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 la. Then the, the U.S. came in and... and Gave a four billion dollar IMF bribery loan to your, you know, new prime minister and fixed the Assange problem theoretically, and now you've invited them in to come in and do shit on your territory. Good job, Ecuador. Insane. For the other voices section, there are so many good articles that I pretty much have to do an interesting articles article. Uh, just to pick out some of the really good ones. Um, so I've grouped them thematically again. So the first one is uh, Ukraine narratives. The victors of World War II support the killing of a generation of Ukrainians for a Nazi ideology, because that's basically what's going down. So Badra Kuma starts us off with War Fatigue Complicates West's Aid to Ukraine, which is a nice, calm, diplomatic analysis. Um, which leads us into, you know, that's from the middle of the week <laughs> on the 3rd. Um, Caitlin Johnson just reminds us of the obvious. This proxy war can't be both provoked and a great strategic investment, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love the way she calls the, the conflicts out in the narratives. It's like, it's an unprovoked great strategic investment. Hey, what? <laughs> she's got, she's good. And then we have a triplicate here from Moon of Alabama, which really sums things up and hint at the tragedy, which I'm highlighting in the sort of subtitle for this section. So he begins on the third with Ukrainian sit rep, bad demographics, end of support, which is a look at the, the generation that have been killed, basically. Uh, and then he uh, continues with uh, Ukraine fatigue sets in, again, echoing the sorts of things that Badra Kuma is saying above. Uh, and finally, he gets on to Ukraine financing the war about hegemony. So, which again is looking at how the support's falling apart. And I think the line from uh, Alastair Crook, which you know, it's further down in the list, uh, to Napolitano was that the US is indebting itself by some in staggering amount, like a, 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 a some you know billions a month every month to sustain, in quotes, this war. Eventually, that's going to blow up. And what he's saying, which echo things I've been mumbling on about for a while, is this is not good. When that blows up, that economic stupidity, it's going to affect everyone. It's going to have a hit on the global economy, and that's going to, you know, the usual story. Who's going to suffer? The peoples of the world, not the bastards who control the money so th there's an issue that is getting more and more and more stressful even taking out the risk of nuclear war right if just imagine that's not going to happen what's going to happen is a financial nightmare 
because of this stupidity to in you know keep funding the weapons industries so it's getting and also enable the profits of of blackrock and whatever who are buying up um investments in the ukraine at, at pittance because they're all devalued because of the war so all this shit's usual story war is bad we should stop the bloody wars anyway i'll shut up now we'll get on with the headlines um uh, there's a lovely piece. Good to see this out. Lobbyist knives out for Matt Getz. This is Lee Fang, who I love. He's a, a great young reporter. Um, so nice to see him. Uh, get it. Get an article in the list. And then we have um, beyond the neocon debacle in Ukraine, which is uh, Jeffrey Sachs. So that's great. You know, he's lovely in terms of doing historical summaries. And a really interesting article just out from Craig Murray. Uh, called Death Wish 2023, in which he looks at the narrative that the counter narrative, actually, uh, or, or the sort of narrative buttressing even uh, that Chatham House, aka the International Institute for International Affairs or whatever the hell they're called, um, uh, their nine points attempting to sort of rebut. So they're sort of constructing and rebutting stuff that's meant to be Russian propaganda. It's the strangest of things that they're doing. Uh, and the article by Craig Murray is beautiful. So he cites them and goes, what the puck are you up to? This is just senseless stupidity. So it's, again, it's that narrative approach, right? So he does a beautiful job of ripping that apart. So I highly recommend the Craig Murray piece, as well as Li Fang. Keep your eyes on him. He's a great journalist. Um, you know, it's still young, so many decades of great reporting to come from him, hopefully. Uh, and then we have um, the U depleted U Ukrainian story. Uh, U Ukrainian? <laughs> what? Have I missed? <laughs> clever. Patrick Lawrence is being clever. Depleted Ukrainian. So that's a fun article by him. Uh, and then good old Caitlin Johnson. Chimes in again with the 10, 10 dumbest things empire propagandists asked us, ask us to believe because she's so good at narrative deconstruction. Uh, and then there's the interview uh, with Crook um, between Napolitano and Crook. So check that out. And something really fun happened, which was there's a, a program called Politiwera, which I think it's, it's um, uh, Polish. I, I'm not certain. Um, or it's uh, Russian. I oh, know. Anyway. <laughs> Good old um, uh, Martinov is on the show with Larry Johnson, right? And and the discussions are all in Russian. <laughs> and so Martinov serves as the translator for Larry Johnson on this program. So there's four of them and it's all in Russian. And he's trying, anyway, it's hilariously fun. Check it out. Uh, so I just thought it was interesting. So if you, you know. <laughs> and then we've got a couple of topics that are basically 9-11 derivatives, the terror laws. So uh, the first one is, it's actually, yeah, it's from the third. Uh, it really sort of fits in last week uh, with the discussions about the CIA torture programs. Um, but it comes out this week. Uh, and that's an interview between Napolitano and Ray McGovern about the CIA torture programs. And specifically, he praises um, Diane Feinstein, who uh, actually managed to release the... Uh, 600 odd pages of the executive summary of the report that they did on torture and of course as I mentioned last week uh, during that process we find out that the CIA has been spying on the investigative committee from the Senate and that usual shit right so but it's a it's a good little uh, recap of what went down there um, by Ray McGovern so if you don't know that history it's a easy way to get a brief summary of it uh, with McGovern 
And then there's a sort of hodgepodge, which I've just called other thoughts. A bunch of interesting stuff. So a couple of articles from Vijay Prashad, um, one of which is looking at what's happening in Africa. Uh, and the title is, uh, um, we have here in Africa everything necessary to become a powerful, modern and industrialized continent. So that's the 40th newsletter from the Tri-Constitution, uh, the Tri-Continental Institute for Social Research. Um, and then the next, I've scrapped, whatever. Uh, then we move on to impeachment. So this is the series that Patrick Lawrence is doing for Consortium News called Cognitive Warfare on Capitol Hill. Uh, and then William D. Hartung. Uh, who publishes at Tom Dispatch, usually, good writer, um, and he's looking at, um, he calls it the article Pentagon Techno Fantasies. He's looking at what's happening in terms of technical disparity between um, weapon systems being produced in the US and Russia. Uh, and it's worth a, a little read if you're interested in that sort of thing. Then we have um, uh, uh, interesting, uh, there's some history stuff happened this week. Anyway. Uh, we have an article called Missing Links in Textbook History, Labor Before World War One" by Jim uh, Mamer, M-A-M-E-R, uh, published at Shearpost. And it's a, there's a really interesting phase of uh, US history before World War One, which is the labor movements that happened uh, then and were terribly repressed in the US, like really nasty stuff. And so that's being brought out again, which is an interesting piece of history to learn about. And I first learned about it through Chris Hedges, actually. Anyway, and then we've got uh, Beneath the Polycrisis by Vijay Prashad, which is the second article by him I was mentioning. And then we have uh, from Hedges, Why Our Popular Mass Movements Fail. So this is actually interesting for me in that it gets a bit boring reporting the same old same old headlines again and again. You know, the industrialists are doing this and the Mendelssohn Industrial Complex and the neo-imperialists and la, la, it gets a bit boring in the end. Um, and so that's why the sort of more, uh, we've been around for a while, uh, writers like Hedges tend to look at things in other ways. So look at Prashad, tries to frame things in some sort of constructive approach about, you know, here's the positive things that are happening. Or uh, same with um, James Corbett in his um, uh, Solutions Watch series. You know, people, eventually you get sick and tired of reporting the same old shit happening again and again and again. So you start looking at other interesting things to write about. And so this is one, why our popular movements fail from Chris Hedges. So that we can understand, you know, what tactics are used to undermine them and therefore how to be more effective. Because in the end, if you want to uh, confront the powers that be, if you don't like them, organizing, you know, it, the advantage that the peeps have is peeps. It's people. So anyway, uh, and then on media, a, a couple thrown in a couple there. So there's Matt Taibbi. It's an interview um, uh, with Scott Horton. It's called Matt Taibbi on the origins of Russiagate and government censorship's legal challenge. So this is back into the whole, you know, Clinton bullshit Russiagate stuff and then how that bleeds over into the US government using the new gatekeepers of you know Facebook and whatever as uh, censorship arms which is something that we've been talking about for years but you know uh, Toby's been quite close to that battle I mean he's been directly attacked in it um, so that's probably worthwhile investigating and then here's another one from Lee Fang he makes another entry uh, called Spinning the Press on Hunter Biden. So that's an investigative uh, piece that he did for Real Clear Investigations. So um, that will that would be interesting if you're looking at 
again, this is narrative, the, the media control stuff, right? So but an investigative piece from him. And here's that thing about history as a weapon, right? So we've got tampering with history by Patrick Lawrence uh, and an interesting article by Scott Ritter uh, going back to Fukuyama's uh, hypothesis put forward at the end of the Cold War, which was, you know, the end of history uh, theory, which is, of course, bullshit. Uh, and this uh, deconstruction and rubbishing of said <laughs> hypothesis by Scott Ritter is titled No End of History in Ukraine, where he looks at the history of Ukraine and why you end up with a current really confused setup that's going down there now. And it goes back to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, of course, right? So it's not just what happened, you know, from World War Two. No, no, no. World War One. yes, actually, it's before that. That's, you know, Anyway, uh, and lastly, we have uh, a, a strange piece, um, but I love Paul Robinson. He's a lovely writer, and it's called 30 Years Ago, Yeltsin Crushed a Parliamentary Uprising, Ushering in an Era of Strong Presidential and Authoritarian Rule. Uh, and this is republished from Canadian Dimension by Natalia's Place, Understanding Russia. So there you go. A lot to read if you've got the time. Hope you're having a good one wherever you are. Catch you next week. On section three, there's only been one article this week, and that's really been about mental health. So it's called False Dichotomies, and it's about the challenge of uh, looking at events that have occurred, separating the narrative out and going, okay, that's just you know psychological fuckery, and not getting involved in that. But also looking at what's happening like what, what, what actually did happen and not rejecting reality with the narrative can be a challenge, right? Especially, so COVID's one of the examples I use, and that's a hard one because early on we knew diddly squat. Um, took quite some time. So all the narratives get rolled out right at the beginning when you don't really know what's going on. So you sort of have to, you know, you can pause them and go, yeah, okay, that looks very manipulative. I don't want to go there. Um, but then you have to wait a while to learn what the hell happened. And then don't be as, don't get so caught up in the narrative destruction that you also decide to reject reality. Um, and so I look at COVID and also climate change uh, on that front too, because there's a lot of bullshit in the in the climate change stuff, particularly with the early phases of the environmental movement and the early phases of the, you know, climate disaster stuff. Um, just narrative stuff rolling out very heavily, but doesn't mean climate change isn't actually happening. So, uh, and there's a lot of money to be made. When you've got these opportunities to get governments to massively invest in new things, there's a lot of money to be made. And I'm quite happy with my uh, line in there, which these sorts of opportunities are aphrodisiacs for grifters. So, um, yeah, so the, the article is really about how do you withstand the cognitive dissonance that comes from Understanding that the narrative is bullshit, but the reality is also there, and you have to somehow manage to keep both in your mind at once. Anyway, uh, the thing I wanted to get onto is to come back to the collapse of Project Ukraine, because that's this week's news. Uh, and the point that Alastair Crook makes in his discussion with Judge Napolitano is that the resistance to Ukraine continuing to be funded, but much more importantly, entering the EU is huge because the existing policies of the EU will mean two things happen, and this is based upon a study done by an article published in the Financial Times. 
that a lot of money would have to be invested in Ukraine uh, in ag agricultural subsidies and also to um, solidify the governance structures, as it were. But the whole thing's just corrupt as hell. So the problem is the agricultural sectors in the rest of um, uh, the EU don't want this massive reinvestment to happen because they'll lose those funds. And they're already suffering. So, for example, the Polish government of, of Rano Line um, in the recent election saying, oh, we won't support Ukraine that much because the agricultural se uh, sector in Poland are pissed with all of the shit products that are flooding into uh, Europe because they had to be exported to Europe because they couldn't be exported to Africa via the Black Sea because of the war. And then this is also, there's the economic impact that's happening in Germany and elsewhere. So Europe, various EU member states do not want this massive reinvestment that would have to happen towards Ukraine when they're all suffering because of the stupid sanctions that were done. So there is a huge resistance to this and that should flow over theoretically into resistance to them joining NATO as well but in the end the EU does need to deal with Ukraine in some way it's its problem the the US can just wash its hands of it and go oh, we don't care you know BlackRock and whatever you can, you guys can all make money out of the devalued assets that are there buy them up have fun good luck we're going to move on to China and so that's what's going to happen. I don't think they're, they're going to be looking for exit strategies. They couldn't give a rat's ass about exit strategies. They're just going to change the topic. That's what it'll be. So look out for the sequence of small events or one big event, whatever it is, that's going to focus all of the media on some, you know, China did some nasty thing. And, you know, obviously Taiwan's the natural place to go, but they'll do something. And I'm sort of dreading this, but that's my prediction. My prediction is they don't give a crap about exit strategies and narrative massaging their ways out of the absolute sort of genocidal self-destruction that the EU has put Ukraine through. And sorry, the US and the EU have put Ukraine through, all at the behest of some crazy Nazis so that the Clinton and Biden families can make money in the usual war machine, can keep profiting and all this other shit that makes me very angry. <sighs> They're just going to change the topic. They're not going to seek exit strategies and massaging narratives. They're just going to change the damn topic. Anyway, <laughs> there's the good news. <laughs> Bye. Until next time.